Wow. Here we are, church, week four of our five-week series in the book of Revelation, Sign of the Times. Week four. In all seriousness, we probably could spend months in this book of Revelation because there's so much there. But what we're trying to do is do a bird's eye view of the book of Revelation and at different parts kind of come in and and draw some applications on some of the specifics. What I didn't want to do was to get us in the weeds, so to speak, where we're going this way and this way and that way and this way. I wanted to get the big themes with the hope of empowering all of us to learn more, to study more, to go deeper. And 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 so we've given resources and that's why we've done the video interviews on Mondays. That's why we're doing the book club on Thursdays, which you can still sign up for. Just go to KCC at KaimakeeChristian.org. You just can sit in, <clears throat> sit in and listen if you would like. But we're huge on giving resources. Here are some of the resources that have helped me uh, during this this series. Uh, first one is a parallel commentary by Steve Gregg on the book of Revelation. Another work that has helped me is a commentary by Craig Keener in the NIV application commentary series, Craig Keener. And it's a great, easy to understand commentary on this book of Revelation. And also there's a little help helpful pamphlet called Four Views of the Millennium. Ever wonder what the millennium is about? What does the millennium even mean? How does that apply to Christians today? It's a little pamphlet that folds out, published by Rose Publishing, and it's a little helpful um, uh, pamphlet that that helped me. And and it's really simple. So if you're interested, go ahead and, and purchase it. And also, if you like to watch videos, you just want to see what else is out there, one of the leading New Testament scholars in the United States, if not the world, is Dr. Craig Keener. Craig Keener uh, has written a number of popular level books, a number of academic books, and he is sought after by other scholars. So he would be considered a scholar of scholars. And he has a website. It's called CraigKeener.com. Go there. He has lots of free resources, videos, information at, at all different levels, popular level, academic level. And so I tell you all these resources so that you will be inspired, encouraged to continue doing research, to continue learning. As followers of Jesus, we want to be known as men and women who learn, men and women who are uh, well-informed. And so let's continue learning. And let's continue, like I said last week, to be critical uh, or to think critically, to, to be able to think critically through different things. So those resources are there. If you're like, oh man, I, I just missed it. It's okay. Go back to our YouTube channel. This video will be up and you can check out the resources later if you didn't get a chance to write them down. But let me share with you two things to keep in mind. When we talk about the book of Revelation, we, we, we have to approach this, this topic of Revelation, all the topics there. We have to approach the book of Revelation with humility. So what that means is if someone has a different view of the book of Revelation than we do, it doesn't mean that we can't be brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't mean that 
um, they're wrong and we're right. It, it just means they have a different view and that's okay. Let's approach this book with humility because who knows, maybe in six months, your view on Revelation has changed. Maybe in the last four weeks, your view on Revelation has changed. The second thing to keep in mind is that there's four main interpretive styles. And I've tried to bring this up uh, each week because this is so important. And this might be something worth writing down and, and memorizing. So remember, there's a historicist approach. That's where Revelation surveys the, uh, is a survey of the entire church history. But like I've mentioned before, this one really isn't um, credible. Uh, yeah, not many scholars nowadays would hold to this. The Preterist approach, that is that fulfillment is in the past shortly after the writing of Revelation. Then we have the Futurist approach. The Futurist approach says that fulfillment is going to happen after Revelation 3. That's when fulfillment happens in the future. And then we have the Idealist approach. The Idealist approach is uh, there's no single fulfillment, only transcendent principles for us to follow. So, with that said, let's get into our text. It comes from Revelation 21. But when John is writing this, he has Isaiah 65 in mind. And remember, there's over 400 references or uh, allusions to the Old Testament. So let's start with Isaiah 65 first and see what uh, John was getting at when he writes, when, when he wrote Revelation 21. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people, my chosen ones, will, will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Revelation 21, 1-8, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Look, I'm going to say it again. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In the comment section there, go ahead and write, Amen. I'm going to read verse 4 again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I'm, as I'm saying this, write Amen in the comment section there. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Amen, Amen, Amen. For the old order of things has passed away. Can I get a big Amen? And then it goes on. 
He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. He said, write this down, write this down. Like they had pens like this, you know? No, but write this down. This is what he says, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the adulterers, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. There's a lot in Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21. And here's sometimes what happens when we look at passages like this. Sometimes we we focus on the minors, we major in the minors, so to speak. We, we start asking questions like, okay, so heaven's coming, so wait, what does that mean? And some of these questions are good, but sometimes these questions take us off from the main intent of the author. So for example, like, like you know, we ask the question, so heaven's coming now, wait a minute, I thought we were going to go to heaven and be with God up there. But wait, God's coming down here and we're going to be his bride? What does that mean that we're going to be his bride? Like the bride of Christ. What's up? And then, and then when does this happen? Does it happen before the millennium? After the millennium? Does it happen before the tribulation? After the tribulation? Does it happen before the, the, the judgment scenes come down? What is all this stuff happening? Like, what's what's going on here? And then what what happens um, when when and you just go down these questions, and then some of those questions are very pertinent to Revelation twenty one. But then what happens is some questions start thinking about well, what about this mark of the beast, or what about this conspiracy theory I heard on YouTube, or what about this? And then all of a sudden we start going getting away from the main point of Revelation. 21. But I want to look at some of these questions that, that are often brought up. And then we're going to come back and focus on the main point of Revelation 21. So let's look at some of these questions. One of the most debated parts of Revelation, what, actually in the comments section, I'm curious, what do you think is the most debated part of Revelation? The most debated, the most like, you know, Revelation comes up and everyone disagrees on this. What's that, what's that one thing that comes to mind? You're like, ah, oh, man, no one agrees on this. Ah, no way. No one agrees on that. And I'll give you my thoughts in five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Okay. I believe the most common part of Revelation that is misunderstood or most debated is this idea of the millennium. Not the Millennium Falcon, no, just the Millennium. The Millennium means a thousand years. And the issue is whether this thousand years is literal or figurative slash symbolic. And there's a lot of debate behind all of that. So let's look at how different people view this Millennium. If you are a premillennial dispensationalist, and this is the most common view in the evangelical church today 
and it really gained its popularity in the 19th century, really about 1835, with a, um, a theologian named Darby. And, 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 and so premillennial dispensationalists believe this, that Jesus comes back, and when Jesus comes back, he raptures out the church. But this isn't like the second coming that we think when you think of second coming, you think, bam, war, God annihilates Satan and everything. Poof. No, this is kind of like a secretive second coming. So Jesus comes back. It's like, nobody really knows, but then he, he raptures out the church, those who are living and who are followers of Jesus, and those who have died who are followers of Jesus. Then he takes them up and he brings them to heaven. But let me explain explain some phrases real quick about that. And, and here's this quick note is that there are uh, two, two phrases here that, that, uh, that when, when Jesus comes down, the church will be raptured or, or what that word means is caught up. The, this camp, those in this camp believe this, that the, the church will be caught up. It'll be a surprise. Nobody will know what happen they're like well wait what where'd everyone go like they're 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 gone so they will be caught up so to speak and then they'll go to heaven so christ is in the air and it's going to be a secret thing it'll be unknown to the world of unbelievers at this time at what's what's happening then also during this seven year period tribulation some christians hold on uh to different views so so some people believe that as the tribulation starts, Jesus is going to come in and then rapture the church out, take the church out of the earth. Some people believe in mid-tribulation, where there's a passage in Revelation talks about there is this treaty that um, uh, that 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 was broken. So then Jesus comes back midway, you know, uh, three and a half years, and then takes the church out. And then there's some who believe that post-tribulation, so after the seven years, then Jesus comes back and takes those uh, believers um, to heaven then. So then after the seven years will reign, uh, Jesus will return after the seven years, and he will reign for a literal thousand years. And during this time of the seven of the one thousand literal years that that Jesus is reigning, Satan is bound up on earth. And then after the thousand year millennium, Satan is destroyed, heaven and earth are renewed, and you are in heaven forever. That is. Uh, a thumbnail sketch of the premillennial dispensational list. So basically, Jesus comes back, but not all the way back. Brings, takes the church out, brings them to heaven. After the seven years, comes back, reigns for a thousand years. Then, after the thousand years, destroys Satan and so forth. Then there's the postmillennial view. The postmillennial view is that Jesus will return to Earth after a thousand-year period. A literal thousand years. This thousand year period is a time that through the preaching of Jesus, most of the world has come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And some believe that this millennium, this thousand year period will start after the seven year tribulation. And during this time, Satan will not 
have any power over the earth. He won't have any power over evil regimes. Uh, and in fact, he will crumble. But during this millennium, Jesus will rule, but he won't be here physically on earth yet, but he'll rule through his church and through his spirit. The second coming of Jesus then happens at the final battle between good and evil after the millennium and Jesus defeats Satan and heaven is ushered in. Then you have an all millennial view. All millennials or all millennialism is a view that this thousand year period is the spiritual reign of Jesus. Those that adhere to this view uh, say that the great tribulation represents disasters and wars and persecutions and have that, that have occurred throughout church history. So they look at all the wars and all the persecutions and all the hurt that's been done uh, to Christians and they go, that's, that's the great tribulation. And most references, all, millennial, all millennialists will say to Israel are not literal, but they're symbolic of God's people. And when it comes to like the different numbers in the in the book of Revelation, this apocalyptic book, they, they say numbers in apocalyptic literature represents concepts, not literal statistics. Now, that was just a quick overview of three views of the end times, and there's more. But the reason I bring this up to you is there's a lot of disagreement on how the end's going to happen. And so that's why we got to always come back to the main point of the text and not get off on these random side trails um, that, that really lead nowhere. It, it does no good to, to debate when Jesus is coming back or how exactly is, is he going to come back. Yes, we should discuss it. Yes, we should have healthy dialogue with it. But if we're just debating for the fact of debating and to prove someone wrong, that doesn't do any good. So Revelation is not designed for us to draw charts and timelines of potential coming events, but to live faithful, godly lives now and to be pre prepared for his return. So we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I think this is a great summary of Revelation. I want, I want to read it again. Because this is important. Sometimes you see these charts and, and timelines and lots of times people will have the, the, the book of Revelation open. Then they'll have their news app open and they go, oh, look what happened here in the Middle East. Look what's happening here now in America. Look at this pandemic. See, that ties into this locust and that ties into the bulls and this. And that, that gets us away from the main point of Revelation. Here is the main point of Revelation. Revelation is not designed for us to draw charts and timelines of potential coming events, but to live faithful, godly lives now and to be prepared for his return. So we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. In the comment section, you could write something like, faithful. I'm going to live 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 faithful. No matter how bad things get, I'm going to live faithful. No matter when the world turns against me, I'm going to live faithful. No matter when I've lost all hope, I'm going to live faithful. That's the point of revelation that we are faithful in the good times and the bad times. 
Now, let's focus on the main part of Revelation, particularly Revelation 21. Now, Revelation, please hear me on this, is not a timeline for the future. Here's what Revelation does. Revelation gives us these broad brushstrokes of what's going to happen in the future. It's not giving us detailed events of what's going to happen in the future, but rather broad brushstrokes of what's going to happen. And the the movement of God and his people is for us to... uh, engage rather than evacuate. God wants us to engage what's going on in the world around us. God wants us to engage and and bring justice where there is no justice, to bring love where there is no love. He doesn't want us to evacuate and get away from what is going on. But look at what happens in Revelation 21. Jerusalem is descending from heaven And it's not the people's dwelling. It is God's dwelling. What we see is God bringing his home, his abode to be with his people. It's nothing you and I did to earn it. Nothing you and I did to to deserve it or to cause it. But it is God saying, I want to be with my people. God's dwelling place is among his people because God wants to be with us. And we're to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth now. Matthew 6, 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the people of God, we are called to engage in the reality of the hardships and turmoils of this world. We're not called to escape the hardships and turmoils of this world. And we are to do the things that God has called us to do. We are to bring heaven to earth. But but how do we do that? How do we bring heaven to earth? Think about that for a moment. How can you bring heaven to earth? Whether you're a student, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a business person, whether you're unemployed, whether you're struggling, whether you're sick, whether you're young, whether you're elderly, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're single, whether you're married, etc., 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 and you follow Jesus, you have a role to play in bringing heaven to earth. As a follower of Jesus, you have a role to play in bringing heaven to earth. One of the great outcomes of the Reformation, of the Protestant Reformation, was that the average Joe, so to speak, is just as important as the professional clergy. Why? Because scripture is clear in the priesthood of all believers, meaning that that we're all priests in the sense that we all can go to God, we all can work for God. And so here's what that means. I mean, no matter what you do, you are a priest or a minister at your job. How cool is that? Priesthood of all believers. Bringing heaven to earth is realizing that we have skills and we have gifts. Spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about spiritual gifts. That we have skills and we have spiritual gifts that only come from the Lord. And, 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 and God has given us these gifts and these abilities for his kingdom. And the question is, is how are we going to use our skills and our ability 
for his kingdom. N.T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, writes this. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. Here we go, here we go. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So whatever situation you are in, you have a part in building God's kingdom. No matter what stage of life you're in, if there's breath in your lungs, you have a part in building God's kingdom. The vision that John has is for all of us. The vision that John has is all, oh, sorry, the vision that John has is of all of the cosmos being put back together in the way they were meant to be, which is the calling that you and I have to uh, it's calling that you and I have as a people of God commissioned by him to be his hands and his feet. We are commissioned by God to be his hands and his feet. Realize the love that God has for us, that, that God comes and dwells among us. He wants to be with us. He comes and dwells among us. Us. And he says, there's no more pain, no more tears, no more mourning. Let that sink in for a bit. Are you struggling during this season? I feel like this season's been going on for a thousand years. Like, like we said last week, most of us are tired of this season. But the hope that we have, and it's a firm hope, an eternal hope is to be with the Lord forever, that he will bring heaven to earth. But in the meantime, before he brings that final consummation there, the final heaven to earth, where, where he brings his abode to earth and heaven and earth collide permanently, until then, we're to do our job of bringing heaven to earth, to give other people a taste of what heaven is going to be like. So two takeaways. Number one, Bring the kingdom of heaven to earth now. Romans 14 is a really unique passage because it kind of gives a, a blueprint of how we can do that. Here's what Romans 14 uh, says. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So how... How do we bring heaven to earth? How do we do that? How do we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? Well, we do it by using our gifts and our abilities that God has given us. And when we are doing that, we're going to be living, see what it says in the passage there, that honorable lives. And when we do that, that, that we're going to be filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a unique passage. Romans 14 gives us that blueprint that will 
bringing heaven to earth means we're living honorable lives, meaning we're living joyfully, meaning that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when that's a good indicator we're bringing heaven to earth there. And when people's lives are being changed and eyes are lifted to Jesus, not us, but to Jesus, we know we're bringing heaven to earth. You can say amen in the comment section on that. You can say, I want to bring heaven to earth in the comment section. Amen in the comment section. I want to bring heaven to earth in the comment section. I want to bring heaven to earth. That's the key part of Revelation 21. Number two, second takeaway, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, we don't know exactly how he's coming back. Uh, people throughout the ages thought Jesus was coming back. All you have to do is Google how many times people predicted the return of Jesus. And you'll get lists after lists after lists after lists. We, we don't know all the details of how he's coming back, but the promise is he is coming back. And instead of getting in the weeds with Revelation and trying to find the signs and this and figure out what this means and look at that conspiracy theory and how that fits into this part of the Bible there and all that, instead of doing all that stuff, why don't we ask the Lord, Lord, transform me from the inside out. Lord, may my life bring honor to you. May when people see me, may they not see me. May they see you, Lord. May they see your reflection in my life. Why don't we pray that? Why don't we pray for resilience when life gets tough? Why don't we pray for, for strength when we need strength? Why don't we pray that, that God is honored when we are weak? Jesus is coming back. And maybe we need to pray every day. Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.